The first night that we kicked off this series, we kind of talked about how God really designed a family to be because we said every single one of us in this room has a different idea of family based on your experience and my experience. My view of family has been shaped by my family and my experience with family. So we took a look at what the Bible said about what God really designed a family to be and how family is really designed to function and why it's so important. And then I loved Anzi's message last week so much. You guys know what I'm going to say. I forgive everyone of everything, every time. Has anybody else needed to say that a lot to themselves besides me since then? Okay, Tegan has not. I have had to say that a lot as a reminder, but I love that. And last week we talked kind of about what to do when things are difficult in family. How do we forgive within a family? How do we stay uh, out of strife? How do we keep peace within our family? So tonight... I took a page out of, like, your Aunt Joe's wall-hanging thing that says, like, these are our family rules. Do you know someone who has one of those in their house? In this family, we do second chances. I don't know. In this family, we put our phones away at dinner, right? We all have things like our family does. One of my family rules, I'm going to see if anyone else had this rule. I feel like no. I was never, ever, ever allowed to draw on my hands growing up in my family. If I came home from school and I had written or drawn on my hands, I had to go wash it off immediately. That was like one of my mom's pet peeves. Did anyone else have that family rule? Okay, okay. There's a couple. Okay, I feel at home with you guys. Does anyone want to share with me real quick before we get going, like a weird family rule where you thought like growing up you thought everyone's family had that and then you realize like no, they don't. Does anybody have a good one? I have one more good one I can tell you. To do what? Yes. Yes. That's relatable. Whose dad would not let you turn on the light in the car when he was driving at night? Thank you, Tegan. We have all had that one. Okay, here's another funny thing about my family that I didn't realize was weird until, like, I got old enough to have friends over and spend the night and they said things about it. We had no less than, like, six cereal options open and on hand at all times because for my family, cereal is for breakfast, but also sometimes dinner when you're lazy also, sometimes a snack in the middle of the night. Also, sometimes your snack while you're watching movie. We just eat a lot of cereal. And I didn't really know that was weird until people started coming over and being like, why do you have so many cereals? And then I would go to their house, and they had, like, one. And it was a bad one. It was, like, Raisin Bran or something. There were no Lucky Charms, no Reese Puffs, none of that good stuff. So that was another, like, funny thing within my family. So our families are all different. But tonight is all about our family rules and we're going to talk about them tonight and they're good and they're exciting but I was thinking about this this week and there's really two things that make all of us in here a family the first thing is being saved right ultimately God has made us a family when we invite him to come into our life we join his family and that has made us a family but the second thing that makes us family is how we treat each other and that's what I want to talk about tonight because the miracle of salvation is God's job he brings my dead spirit to life boom now I'm in his family but the second part of family is our job God's already done his job in this family it's time for me and you to do our job and that is to treat each other like family and if we look at first Timothy chapter 5 Starting in verse 1 and 2, God tells us, Don't be harsh or verbally abusive to an older man. It's better to appeal to him as a father. And as you minister to younger men, it's best to encourage them as your dear brothers. 
Honor the older women as mothers and the younger women. Treat as your dear sisters with utmost purity. What is God telling us? Act like family. You're a family. Act like it. I'll be super honest. And when I was reading these verses this week, I wasn't sure if I was officially in the older women part where you guys need to treat me like a mother or if I'm still young enough to be a sister. Not sure. But regardless, we are family. And God is saying to us, treat each other like family. And here's why this is so important, because the culture that we create within our family, based on how we treat each other, will determine, number one, if anyone wants to join our family, and number two, if people will leave our family. When people are estranged, estranged excuse me, from their family, why? Why is that? It's because they're like, my family's crazy right? They treat me horrible. They're abusive. They say mean things to me. They're always this. They're always that. When people separate from their family, it's because their family's not functioning right and they've been mistreated. And I want to make sure that our church family isn't making anybody feel mistreated and like they need to leave the family. And this is going to be an encouraging message, I promise, because the cool thing is you guys are already an amazing family. So this is a great reminder to us tonight. But if we want people to see our family and want to join it, we're going to have to act like a good family. And if we want to make sure people we love don't leave our family, we're going to have to treat them right. Part of that is what Anzi talked about last week about forgiveness. So the first family rule I want to say tonight is exactly what Anzi said. We forgive everyone of everything every time. I'm not going to spend a long time talking about it because he did last week listen to his message. But we could also say it this way. Dr. Jacobs, who's like the spiritual father of this family, right, he started this church he says, be quick to repent and quick to forgive. I have to remind myself of this so often. But that's the first rule in this family. We are quick to repent and quick to forgive. So listen to Andy's message last week. If you weren't here, you can find it on our podcast. But the second family rule tonight is we are cheerleaders. I just offended all the football players in the room, but I'm going to explain myself. We are cheerleaders. And this is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. God tells us something really cool here. He says, discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. He goes on to say, this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, so don't stop hanging out. As some have formed the habit of doing because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning or like the end of the world. But the beginning of this, he says, discover creative ways to encourage others and motivate them toward acts of compassion. So here's what I want to point out to you about cheerleaders. You can spot them a mile away, right? To be honest, I don't have the athleticism to be a cheerleader. I don't have the hair for it either, but I have the volume. Cheerleaders are loud, right? You can spot them a mile away. They're loud. Uh, cheerleaders, you can spot them a mile away because they wear a lot of bows in their hair, right? You can see a cheer bow from across the field, correct? Right? Okay. Cheerleaders are enthusiastic. We all know these traits about cheerleaders, but here's one thing I want to point out to them. Cheerleaders are really not cheering for the team. Their job isn't to cheer for the team. Their job is to get the crowd to cheer for the team. If I'm a cheerleader, my job isn't just to stand here and yell. It's to make you yell, right? Because it's better if the whole crowd is cheering the team on than me standing down here in the corner yelling while we're losing, right? 
why do te uh, teams have like a, a, what do they call it? A home court advantage? Is that what it's called? Because that's where their people are. That's where their fans are. Their cheerleaders are there, right? The whole crowd is on their side when they're playing at home. And that's the kind of people we want to be. I don't want to just cheer for you. I want to get everyone to cheer for you. I want to bring everybody, get everybody into this. This is a home court advantage. We're family here. You should never be afraid of being embarrassed or making a mistake here because we're your cheerleaders. This is your home court. You have people here that will have your back. And if you fall down, they're going to keep on cheering. And if you mess up, I'm just going to weigh my pom-poms and get you a slushie from the concession stand. We are cheerleaders. And it's not just about me being encouraging to you. I want to make as many people as I can come together and encourage you. And we don't just cheer people on. We inspire others to cheer too. So I want to stress to you tonight, we need to be kind people who build each other up. And the funny thing about that is it's actually really easy. It's just not always natural, right? It's easy to compliment someone, but it's just not always our first response. Sometimes our human response is to be bitter or to be jealous. But if you get in the habit of encouraging someone, you'll feel so much better about yourself. I love to, like, compliment my cashier at the grocery store because <laughs> – it takes like two seconds for me, and it might make their day so much better. You know, it's so much fun to bring encouragement to other people. But I want this place and the culture here to be a culture where we cheer each other on. And here's another thing cheerleaders do. They don't just cheer when the team is winning. They cheer when they're losing too, right? So if I see you and you're struggling, that's okay. I'm cheering for you. And if I see you and you've messed up, that's okay. I'm cheering for you. And if I see you and you're not living right and you're not doing what I think you're supposed to be doing, that's okay. I'm cheering for you. Whether you're winning or you're losing, we've got your back because it's my job to build you up. So I want us to evaluate ourselves and say, in this family, do we say kind things? Are we being encouraging? It's super easy to be sarcastic, right? I feel like I'm not even joking. I feel like the office changed the landscape sometimes of people's humor in this country because all those dry, crusty people, once they saw the office and it was, like, popular, they'd be doing that all day. And I worked with somebody one time who was so dry. And, I mean, I think it's funny, but, like, that was just her way of life. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I'm the opposite of dry, and you're so dry. And we share an office. This is so weird, <laughs> you know. But for real, we've gotten in the habit of thinking it's funny to make fun of each other. And listen, I've done it too, okay? I've done it. It's really funny to tease our friends, especially after they've done something dumb, especially once they've looked like a fool. It's really easy to cut them down and not let them forget that. But sometimes we don't realize how our jokes might be hurting people. And listen to me when I say, I am so guilty of this. So we're in this together. This is just as much a reminder to me as it is to you. But what am I saying? I want to evaluate like every word that comes out of my mouth and really make sure that I build you up no matter what because you know what when somebody messes up the devil does a great job of making them feel bad they don't need me to make them feel worse right it's my job to pick them up and to be their cheerleader and not to allow myself to default to just jealousy or bitterness but to strive to encourage others again it's easy but you have to be intentional about it you have to think about doing it so that's number two we are cheerleaders number three we restore each other. And I love this. This is in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And God says, My beloved friends, 
If you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault, what is he saying? Somebody who's messed up. May the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. If you think you're too important to stoop down to help one another, you are living in deception. Oof, he said a lot. <laughs> but there's another translation. I really like that translation I read, but there's another one that says, we pick each other up. We pick each other up. And this sounds really good to say it out loud, but the, the truth of the matter is, our, our default setting as humans is really not to pick someone up. Picking someone up is dirty. Picking someone up can be uncomfortable. We all, when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, we want to think we're the person who stops. But I, would we be? Would we be? So many people passed him by. And I think, like I said, this is much easier said than done. We hear it and we're like, oh, yes, I would be there for somebody but, you know, a lot of times we're not. And we have to really be willing to get down on someone's level when they have fallen and pick them up and lift them up and pull them up. Because here's the thing. We have all made mistakes. I personally am grateful that a lot of my mistakes have not been made in a public manner. When I see somebody who's maybe messed up and word gets out and everybody knows they did this or they did that, Oh, I, I just, I don't ever want to be critical to them because most of the mistakes I've made, you guys know nothing about. I had the, just the grace to make those in private. And when somebody has fallen, it's our job to stop and to pick them up. And here's what I mean when I say that can be messy. A lot of times when people fall, it's a hard fall. Many of you know from maybe experience or from helping a friend or, or being around someone, Stooping to pull someone out of something like depression or anxiety, that's messy. And that's hard. That person's not always thanking you. It's not always easy. You talk to them and they're great one day and the next day they're even lower than they were before. And so many times we lose our patience with people when God is saying, no, you stop to pick them up. And he said in this passage, if you think you're too important to stoop down to help one another, you're living in deception. And so many times our eyes are on our life my life. What am I going through? What was my day like? What did I feel like today? What happened to me today? And I'm surrounded by people and sometimes even people I love and that I'm really close to and stuff's going on with them and I don't even know. They've fallen and I haven't even noticed because my eyes were on myself because I'm just thinking about myself. And listen, I have found through the years that I get so much freedom from helping other people. I've had some really cool volunteer opportunities that I love, um, dealing with people who are locked up or feeding homeless people and things like that. And I have gone to those situations so many times after having the worst day ever. Some of the hardest times in my life, I was uh, volunteering in those opportunities. And let me tell you, I left different when I came out of those places. When I took my eyes off myself and my problems and I stopped to help pick someone else up that night and spend time talking to them about what was going on in their life, I left many times with tears in my eyes saying, God, just forgive me for being so selfish. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so consumed with what I thought was happening to me. I had a bad day. You know, that there are so many people who have fallen around us. And if I would just stop to help pick them up, 
it would shake that heaviness off of me too. Because when I'm focused on helping you, I'm not going to be focused on the things that Satan's trying to bring into my life to bother me. Many times my own problems are mostly in my head anyway. I am so blessed. God takes care of me. I don't have anything major to complain about in my life. But it's so important for me to keep my focus shifted on others. I take care of myself too. But, you know, when I'm having a heavy day, the best thing that I can do is pray. And go spend time helping other people. Help lift them up. And when you lift others up and you restore others, you'll find a lot of restoration happening in your life as well. Because God says when we give, it's given back to us. If I bring healing to you, I know I'm going to get the healing that I need. And if I bring encouragement to you, I know people are going to be there to encourage me when I need it. So number three, we restore each other. And you know, the word restore Restoration means to bring something back to its former state of glory, right? It means that we bring people back to where they need to be. And I think so many times, I've been guilty of this too, in church, it's just so easy to criticize people and kick them while they're already down. Our uh, focus should not necessarily always be telling people how to live right. Now, I'm grateful for the people in my life who tell me how to live right. But if you've fallen and you're down, My goal is not to tell you what you did wrong. My goal is to restore you, lift you back up, bring you back to your former place of strength, bring you back to your former place of joy, bring you back to that place of peace. I restore you. That's what we do when someone has fallen. And number four, this is my last one tonight. I knew it would be like a little short, but I love each one of these points a whole lot. This one is in 1 Peter chapter 4. And number four is we cover each other. And he says... Since we are approaching the end of all things, be intentional, purposeful, and self-controlled so that you can be given to prayer. In verse 8, he says, above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another. Here's the part I want to focus on. For love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. Another translation says love covers a multitude of sins. And this one is so important, and I really want to focus on it tonight. And it really kind of is about gossip and talking about other people. Because we've all been victims of gossip. We've all had people talk about us. But we've all also opened our mouth and shared business that wasn't ours to be sharing. And we've done, we've done the gossiping. But I love this phrase, love covers a multitude of sins. And it kind of piggybacks off of restoring people and picking them up and lifting them up. But listen, as I'm restoring you and picking you up and lifting you up, I want you to know I'm going to keep my mouth shut about it. Love covers. That means I will not make it everybody's business what's going on with you. And I want us to be really committed to that tonight because right now our church is growing. Our church is small. And it's really easy for a small church to talk and for everybody to know everybody's business. And it should not be that way. Love covers. If I know something about you, I'm going to cover you. Now, I want to make a distinction. Uh, You guys are young and... It's not just because you're young, for older people too, but if somebody brings something to me that is dangerous, I will get the appropriate people involved because that's love. I got to keep you safe, right? But I'm not going to tell the whole world about it. Love covers. When you are in a situation where someone has opened up to you and is coming to you for help or is sharing things with you, it is so important to restore them, but to cover them. We heal when we're covered. When you're hurt, you need a place of peace and rest 
to regain your healing. The Bible talks so much about the Holy Ghost bringing peace and rest and peace and rest. And when I hear those words, I just hear healing. We live in a time of emotional trauma and emotional injury and emotional abuse and emotional issues. There are so many people who have been hurt by people that we need to cover them and let them heal. As we're picking them up and restoring them, I'm going to love you and I'm going to cover you. I'm not going to spread your business. I'm not going to tell somebody the gossip. I'm not going to share your information with other people. And I'm not going to look down on you. I'm going to cover you so that you can heal because love covers. This is so cool. The Bible also said in those verses, love empowers us to fulfill the law as we carry each other's troubles. Here's the other thing that love does when it covers. When I'm covering you, I'm lifting some of that load off of you, right? If you need to heal, you can't do it carrying your own load by yourself. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament um, is a story of Moses. Nope, it's not a story of Moses. <laughs> okay, this just came to me. I'm not going to tell you who the story was about because I'll be very transparent. I don't remember, but it could have been Moses because it was someone with a staff. But I know that in this story, <laughs> there, there was a battle going on. And the leader of God's people had a staff. And when he raised his staff in the air, they would be winning the battle. Their army would be doing good. But when he lowered his staff, the opposing army would begin to overcome them. Does that make sense? So when he's his hands are raised with his staff in it, they're winning. When they lower, they're losing. So the Bible says that he's standing there with his staff raised and they're winning, but his arms began to grow heavy because of the load. He was getting tired because he was carrying that all by himself. It was a big deal though. The fate of this battle was in his hands and he needed to keep his hands up. And I love this so much. The Bible says that his friends came alongside him and when he couldn't hold his arms up on his own, they held his arms up for him so that he would see a victory, so that he didn't carry that load by himself. And that's what you and I are calling to do when I see you and your load looks a little heavy it's not my job to criticize you and tell you how to carry it better it's my job to come grab your arm let me help you hold this let me carry your burden so you can heal let me lift you up so you can take a deep breath and get a break for a second right we all need those kind of people in our lives but we've got to be those kind of people for each other too we're family this is what we do we cover each other we bear each other's burdens when I see somebody getting tired I come alongside and I'm their cheerleader and I help them hold up their load. That's what we're called to do. That's what this family is about. These are our family rules. This is what we do for each other. And it all comes back to really just taking our eyes off of ourselves. I work on that every single day. Every single day I struggle with thinking about only my life. Just me. When I am surrounded by so many amazing people that I am called to help. The first week of this series, we uh, looked at a verse that said we're all part of one body, right? The, the Bible describes us as a family, but he also uh, likens us to a human body. He says we all have a part. That means we need each other. You need my part. If you're missing part of your body, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, even a small part. You want to hear something gross? Okay. The worst injury I ever had, which is not near as bad as anything many of you have ever <laughs> experienced because I'm a very cautious, safe person. I've barely been injured in my life, so whatever. But the like nastiest, most painful thing that's ever happened to me is having my toenail ripped off. It's happened two times. It's disgusting. Um, 
you might cry like a baby. I gasped for air a lot. It was horrifying. But also, it's kind of dumb. I, I did talk about it a lot because it was on my mind. <laughs> However, <laughs> it's kind of an embarrassing thing to talk about because it doesn't sound like that bad of an injury. Like, we all know it hurts. But in the grand scheme of your whole body, is your toenail that important? Well, to me it was. That's my point. When it's missing, you know it's not there. (laughs) Everything feels weird. You're scared. You walk around just being like, watch my toe, watch my toe. You're jerking your leg up all the time. This has been me for months now. Because it matters. Every part matters. And in the same way that I notice when that little tiny thing is not on my body anymore, People notice when when you're not there. We notice. We need you. You have something to bring to me, and I have something to bring to you. Everybody's part is important. So we are called to really be each other's support and stop focusing on ourselves. And as I said earlier, when we really turn our eyes on other people, man, God is just able to really transform the way that I see the things in my life that feel hard. Like I said, when I show up at my volunteer opportunities, so many times I have done it after a horrible, horrible day, and I'm feeling terrible about my life. And when I leave one hour later in 60 short minutes, God has been able to transform how I see every single problem in my life. And instead of feeling sorry for myself, I leave grateful. And that's what we do when we love each other. When we're a family, we function as we should. We're able to help each other, but God is also able to help us and help us overcome, see beyond ourselves and and overcome our pity party and all those things. So I just want to encourage you tonight, let's be quick to forgive, quick to repent. Let's be cheerleaders. It doesn't mean you have to be loud like me. (laughs) Please don't, actually. Everyone would hate us if we were all in my volume. Be you, not me. But let's be cheerleaders together. (laughs) Let's all restore each other. And let's cover each other and let's be a real body and a real family that functions as God created it to. Because when we are walking together as a family who loves each other, then people are going to be added to our family. And we can make sure people that we love don't leave our family, right? Everybody always says the best thing about a church is, yeah, the people. The worst thing about a church is, the people, right? We're the people. That's me and you. Some days you guys have probably loved me. Other days you probably found me annoying, right? The best and the worst part of a church is the people. So when we are the church and that is us, we've got to make sure that this place is functioning as God intended it to and that it feels like it should and that the culture is the way it should be and that ultimately we're just walking in love and we're loving each other. Can we do that tonight? Okay, awesome. I know this was a little bit of a different message, but I love each one of these points, and they've really been helpful to me just as I've been thinking about them in my life. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then we can go outside and